All right, I'm going to pray and we will resume Church History Sunday School. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for worship and church history and being able to witness what you're doing, what you have done throughout the ages, and help us to not only know the facts better, but maybe even be challenged in our own personal lives today and being sent, doing missions work, funding missions work. We thank you for those who have gone before us. Christ, then we pray. Amen. So last week, uh, we covered how, in many ways, the gospel came to the British Isles, and this week, we are kind of in the same time period, but working through the actual continent of Europe. So early missionaries in Europe, that's the textbook we've been using. Uh, I'm going to do probably 20 minutes or so of just looking at these slides, and uh, we can kind of work through some takeaways after that. Uh, So a couple of maps as we think about where we are, what we're talking about. These are the two I showed last week. Uh, So some of these are going to be still relevant. So on the map on the right, central northern England, modern day, is Northumbria. Uh, so that is a very large kind of region. We talked last week about the southeast portion of England called Kent, which is where really there was kind of a beachhead in Canterbury of the Roman Catholic Church. They unified with the Celtic Church several centuries later. Uh, so just want to keep a couple of those um, counties in front of us. But that's the British Isles. And... We are looking here, I pulled out some maps about 6th century Europe, and uh, in the top part of the European continent, uh, you see, it's really hard to see, there's this place called Phrygia. Uh, So you've got the kingdom of the Franks, so modern-day France, part of Belgium and other countries as well, and the purple on the map on the left, there's a little green bit right there touching the North Sea, called uh, Frisia, and so we're going to be talking about the, the low country of northern Europe. So it's the low country because it's at or partially below sea level. Uh, so there's a, another map of Europe on the right, so we're going to be hitting kind of the northern part of the continent of Europe. Uh, first, there was a man who was coined the Apostle of the Dutch. Uh, this is a paragraph from the book. One of the most fam- famous, one of the famous missionaries of the 7th and 8th centuries was Willebrord, born in Northumbria in 658. So again, Northumbria is kind of central northern England. Uh, and he was, so 658, he was sent to a monastery at age 7, went to college all the way over in Ireland, uh, age 20. So again, there's been all kinds of gospel work in the Celtic church uh, in Ireland, uh, Scotland, Northern England, and he's a beneficiary of this. A man named Egbert led the college in Ireland, and he gave permission uh, with the Pope's consent to send Willebrord to Frisia, which again is kind of by the North Sea, 
northern uh, continent of Europe, uh, modern-day Holland or the Netherlands. Willebrord arrived. Uh, he supported a church that was already planted there uh, earlier in 631. I don't know who planted it. I don't know how it got there. Uh, we just know that in a sense, he was someone uh, from England who went to modern-day Holland or uh, Frisia. So what happened in Frisia? So he's confronting all kinds of idolatry, uh, obviously primarily through uh, preaching. Willebrord often encountered people uh, wholly given to idolatry. Uh, so on one occasion, he found people uh, bowing before a stone idol and went over and rebuked them and said, your gods have eyes, but they see not, and ears, but they hear not. And now I shall show you that I'm right. He took a club and smashed the idol. Uh, because of this, um, he was attacked by a pagan priest. Uh, he was wounded non-fatally to his head. Uh, and he was um, in Frisia ministering there for 50 years. And he was buried in modern-day Luxembourg, so more kind of central Europe. Uh, so we're going to kind of talk about a couple of other countries, a couple of other people, but I think we're going to see some common themes, uh, some patterns arise. So I'm going to kind of keep moving just a little bit. There was also somebody who was coined the Apostle of Germany. Winfred, better known as Boniface, was 20 years younger than Willebrord. He was born in the English county Devon in 680. So Devon was not on the map of the UK that I showed but Devon is on the kind of southern part of the British Isles, a little to the west of London. That's not very helpful, is it? Uh, so on that map, there was a place called Wessex. So it's kind of uh, west of Kent, but it's on the coastline. I really only know this because this is where my mother-in-law is from. So she grew up in the county of Devon, as did her mother. Uh, so... Winfred, or Boniface, is born, but a little bit after uh, Willebrord. So he was raised in a monastery in Exeter, and uh, early on he desired to be a missionary. Uh, 716, he actually joined Willebrord in Frisia, but the work was uh, impeded by war, and he subsequently returned back to England. Shortly thereafter, he went to Rome and received a commission to go to heathen tribes of Germany. So again, in modern-day Germany, there's just all kinds of tribes of people, uh, and very little church presence. So there's uh, Saxony, uh, Bavaria, Thuringia, Hesse, and in 745, he's appointed Archbishop of Mans, and so there is no Germany. So it's just kind of northeast of the Frankish Empire, modern-day France, uh, and this is where Boniface is doing his ministry uh, primarily. So he also, in the context of the German tribes, confronts idolatry. So while in Hesse, he was near the city of uh, Geismar. He found a, a great oak sacred to Thor, the German god of thunder. So at this point, my son would probably be jumping up and down going, oh yes, a Greek god, this is great. Uh, 
The people revered this oak, and it was a location of actual idol worship. So Boniface, or Winfred, took an axe to the tree as the people expected Thor to react, but obviously he didn't. Uh, he ended up using the wood to build a church as the people's faith and idols vanished, and there was a bit of a revival. And uh, many accepted the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. So in 754, Boniface went again uh, to Frisia. So you remember, he had gone first to be with Willebrord uh, in modern-day Holland. That didn't go, out, that didn't go too well because of uh, warfare. So he decides to uh, leave Germany, go back with Willebrord, uh, <clears throat> where Willebrord ministered. Again, many were converted, but before the baptism of many on one particular day, uh, Boniface and 51 companions lost their lives. So there's this constant tension uh, that we may have not seen as much last week, not saying it didn't happen on the British Isles, but there's a lot of martyr situations. uh, Because a lot of these individuals, a lot of these people are actively involved in pagan idolatry, like stones and other gods like Thor. uh, And reminds us a little bit of Old Testament Israel and the things that they dealt with. But Boniface, uh, actually, before he could perform these baptisms, he and a bunch of his companions were killed in the midst of confronting idolatry. Uh, There is another area called Flanders. Uh, So this is kind of near modern-day Belgium, partly near the coast as well on the North Sea. So this is close to Frisia. So Frisia, or modern-day Netherlands, is just north of this area called Flanders. Uh, A missionary who brought the gospel to that area was a man named Eligius, called by the French uh, Saint Eloi, because this person was born in France. So he's a French missionary uh, at the time, the Kingdom of the Franks. And he ends up going north of France to Flanders. He was a goldsmith, and he became wealthy by building a golden chair for the king of France. So good with his hands. Uh, His primary job was goldsmithing. And uh, the story goes that there was this chair uh, made of gold. King of France knew who he was, basically commissioned him to make this amazing looking chair, and he did. And there was just an enormous amount of wealth that came to this man named Eligius. Okay? So he used a lot of his money that he got from the king to free slaves. But he wanted to do more than that. He uh, is said to have said that he wanted to deliver their souls from the powers of sin in which Satan held them. So he not only wanted to literally free people from slavery, but he wanted to spiritually free people from the bondage of sin. And so again, he's, he's a person who's come across this vast amount of wealth uh, because of his uh, vocation in goldsmithing, doing good work, good deeds, freeing people from slavery. But what's he going to do beyond that? He's eventually made a bishop and he ministers in this area of Flanders for about 18 years, 
dying in 659 uh, at the age of 70. So again, we're going to kind of hit another couple of areas with another couple of people, but we're going to start to pull together some themes. I'll ask you for questions and feedback. Another person, the Apostle of the North. So almost a century and a half after Eligius died. So this French missionary who ministered in Flanders. We are going further uh, to the modern day. There's a guy, um, Ansgar, or Anscar. He was born in northern France, similar to Eligius. At five, he entered a monastery. He eventually became a monk, but he is someone who had some sense of missionary zeal, and that led him to Denmark, where there was a man named Harold, who was the king. Uh, Harold eventually sought refuge with uh, King Louis I of the Franks, so he comes down to France, because there's all kinds of, again, warfare, uh, paganism, heathenism in uh, modern-day Denmark. This is um, Denmark, uh, Norway, lots of uh, Viking, uh, Norsemen, uh, pillaging all kinds of areas of the UK and the continent of Europe at the time. You don't really want to go to Denmark and Norway to minister at this time. Uh, and so what ends up happening, though? When Harold... Uh, king of Denmark comes down seeking refuge from all of these pagans. He hears the gospel in France and responds and is baptized. So when he returns, he brings this individual, uh, Ansgar, back with him to Denmark as a missionary seeking to build the church. Uh, a church eventually is built, but Harold was again expelled and Ansgar leaves as well because there's just so much animosity uh, against the church, against the gospel, against religion, because it's confronting uh, pagan worship, heathens, all kinds of things that you can think about when you think about Vikings. Should have had a really cool picture of a Viking, but sorry, I don't. Similarly, uh, Sweden, modern-day map uh, on the right. So uh, Denmark kind of juts up uh, from <clears throat> Holland into the North Sea. And east of Norway, you have Sweden, modern-day picture. Again, a request was received uh, by a guy named Bjorn, who was the king of Sweden. So... Uh, as Ansgar was leaving Denmark, he decides to uh, leave again. He goes to Sweden. He became Archbishop eventually of Hamburg, which is on the continent where you see modern Germany, in 831, because ministry to Scandinavia is just so difficult. You got the North Sea, the Baltic Sea, uh, very, very dangerous shipping routes, uh, Vikings everywhere. Uh, the, the, the native people don't want the gospel. Uh, there's, again, all kinds of uh, paganism that's going on. And so 
uh, in a sense, Ansgar learns from dealing with the Danish. He sets up a uh, support network on the mainland so that there's a place to retreat to, maybe physically or for other materials or finances and things like that in uh, Hamburg in 831. So that's to support the work that's going to hopefully go on in Scandinavia. Again, Vikings, Norsemen, they're active at this time in 840. They destroy all of the religious buildings in Hamburg, and Ansgar narrowly escapes. He survives, but everything that he had built up over about a decade was completely pillaged, ransacked, burned down, and destroyed. Because... These Vikings are trying to prevent the gospel from getting up to Denmark and going to modern-day Sweden and Norway. So again, the king of Sweden ends up calling for help because he would still like a church to be established in his country. Uh, Ansgar arrives eventually again in Sweden, but he doesn't arrive with any of his stuff because uh, pirates on the sea basically take everything that they have. Uh, and thankfully, he still ends up with his life, and he ends up back in Sweden, but he didn't bring anything. Uh, eventually, the first church is established, even though opposition, even from the Danish, is uh, fierce, and he dies in 865 AD. Any thoughts or questions so far? We've covered uh, Frisia, covered Flanders, parts of uh, Germany, Denmark, and Sweden. Anybody think of any kind of themes that are starting to arise in any of these kind of stories that might tie it together? So wherever they're essentially going, there's, does it go really well? No. The one, one common theme could be there is a lot of opposition. Yes? So the gospel, it seems, is, is reached uh, in interesting ways to some of the leadership of these tribes. And they're converted, and it's amazing. What does that do to the opposition? Doesn't really do a whole lot. <laughs> maybe, it, maybe, maybe it makes it worse, threatens them, yeah. It's a couple of things that I've thought about with takeaways. Those are, those are some of them. Uh, I'm, thinking, I'm thinking partly about um, last week with the British Isles as well as this week, kind of bringing them together. There's amazing stories about... Uh, young men who, at a very young age, have a response to the gospel, whether they're in a school, a monastery, they end up going to a college, but there's kind of an extension of <clears throat> just being a believer to, I want other people to hear this. I've been, my life has been so changed by the gospel that there, it says about several of these men, they have some type of missionary zeal. Uh, and we're not, we're not ranking Christians here, but 
the gospel is spreading through these men. Uh, so, interestingly, uh, Willibrord, who went to Frisia, also uh, uh, Boniface. Where were these? Where were these people from? Do you remember? Monasteries, a lot of them. Uh, what did you say, Sean? A couple of them are from England. Where did they do? Where did they do ministry? Not in England. Did, didn't we see that last week? Where was St. Patrick from? Scotland. Where did he famously do ministry? In Ireland. How did the gospel spread in Scotland? Last week, we learned about a guy named Columba who was actually born in Ireland. But, but he went to Scotland. So as I was looking at this lesson uh, this week, it's kind of just striking again that there's several of these individuals who are willing to leave. They're willing to go. They're willing to be sent. I was thinking uh, this week with regards to missions in particular, um, <clears throat> When I arrived in our, my first call, uh, the church in Middle Tennessee was probably maybe double the size of Christ's covenant, so not, not terribly big. I don't know how many missionaries we supported, maybe half dozen, eight, something like that. And I, uh, I knew that in the DNA of the church, they had had a missions conference, and it usually brought in speakers, and probably in the, the 90s, there was a real big push in that church to do global missions and do it really well. That extended into the 2000s. Uh, something really struck me because a lot of people in that church knew these people that were on the mission support list. And so I was kind of asking questions. It took me a little, a little while to figure out that almost every missionary that our church was supporting was a member of our church. Meaning that almost all of our mission support was because we sent people. None of which while I was there. They, they were, a lot of these people have been on the field for 5, 10, uh, 15 years. But it, I'd never heard of that before in my little experience in my life. That uh, <clears throat> when, when people were coming home for home mission assignment, they were coming home to, to our church. And not, not all of the missionaries that we supported, I could say that about, but, uh, you know, it, it's an interesting thought for our church maybe to think through, I've kind of said this non-officially, some, some people have asked me, well, I love, I love Peru, I want to go to Peru, uh, what are we going to support eventually if we grow besides Peru? I've said, well, we're, wherever the Lord sends you. What? What if that's a prayer? I know that the MTW coordinator for the last four or five years has been praying, uh, asking our denomination that our denomination's membership would send 1% overseas. So if you think, 
1% of 100, 1% of 150? Uh, what, what does it look like to say, who's going to go? And it's interesting, uh, there's incredible opposition. That, that these men, particularly in the Middle Ages, they go and they may come back and they may have things burned to the ground and then they go somewhere else. Uh, and, the, and the gospel is just kind of taking two steps forward and one step back. Uh, so that's one lesson that I particularly took away from this. No, at this point, I'm not really desiring to be the one who's sent. So if you'd like to volunteer my name, I may just have to argue with you a little bit. Uh, but why don't you leave? Uh, but maybe that's a prayer request. Who, who would go? Where would you go? Uh, why would you go? But could we be a, a sending denomination? We already are, in a sense. But the MTW coordinator would like to have 1%. I have no idea how we're doing on that, by the way. Um, so, uh, I think Sean made the comment last week, too, and I, we're, we're seeing this happen again, where receiving countries become sending countries. So, last week, again, I'm trying to tie the two weeks together a little bit, we saw the United Kingdom receive the gospel. I don't exactly know how it got there and when it got there, but they took Roman roads. They even beat the Romans all the way up there, in a sense, all the way up to Scotland. Uh, and the, the gospel flourishes for several hundred years. Where, where do some of these guys come from, though? They, they come from there. And they move from being a receiving country or territory to a sending one. They, they don't just receive and sit content. But you see this kind of transition where uh, France, or the kingdom of the Franks, is kind of the same way. They had, they had received the gospel at some point early on. And, and where does this King Harold come and receive the gospel? In France. When he's fleeing for his life from his own countrymen. And so therefore, you see Eligius who is eventually going to go to Flanders, uh, he's French. But he doesn't stay. He goes. So we're seeing receiving countries become sending countries. And again, this was pointed out last week, but I think we're, we're probably in need of seeing that more in our own context. So we received the gospel from Europe. Uh, several centuries after this, all this took place. So after the Reformation, uh, the founding of our nation is tainted with Christianity. And we, the, the, the sending nations, uh, which have inherited all of, this, all of these stories, have fallen into disrepair in Christendom. And so therefore, uh, I led an MTW committee meeting of our presbytery uh, Thursday. Uh, we have an elder uh, from Germantown who's helping a church plant in Brussels with a Belgian pastor. 
And so we're going to send a bunch of money. And we're sending an elder from River Oaks to go and visit this fall. But that, that's where we got the gospel from. But we've moved from being receiving to sending. So hoping to send Sean to Northern Ireland. We have another missionary that's there. I'll be going to England in May, hopefully visiting a missionary in London. So there, the sending countries become receiving countries. But at some point, what does that also mean about the United States. How do we view ourselves? Well, we're a sending country, aren't we? How would we also maybe need to start seeing ourselves? A receiving country. But do you actually believe that? What, what about our own hearts might have to change? We need help. We need help from South Americans, from South Koreans, from Ethiopians, from Kenyans, from Brits, from Norwegians, and the Koreans have been sending missionaries here for several generations. Can you say that again? And we have Korean presbyteries, South Korean, Korean-speaking presbyteries. But there, you know, we, we often talk about uh, when helping hurts and when we go on short-term missions, we're not necessarily going to kind of show everybody how it's done or show everybody what to do. Um, one of the things that you'll learn when you go to Peru Mission is there's probably several things that we need to say, could you come here, teach us how to do that? Can you, can you show us? Can you help us grow our church in Hernando? So there, but, but we're seeing that in history through uh, Ireland, Scotland, England, from receiving countries to sending countries. You're seeing that in the kingdom of the Franks from receiving country to sending. Our country was initially receiving, receiving, and now for generations has been sending. And we probably need to pray, not simply that we would continue sending, but we would come into partnership and our, our MTW missions partners all, all over the world who are evangelizing, we may actually need to call them and say, can you send someone? In humility, we're asking for help. We have idols that we talked about this morning in the Tenth Commandment that we need help with. That I can almost assure you, they're not struggling with in the same way in South America and in Africa. They can probably call a spade a spade on our personal lives in a pretty strong way. Um, another thing about last week and this week, besides Patrick... Have you ever heard of any of these people before? Which is why it's almost like not fun to read some of this because it's like, where are you talking about again? Like, who is this? Like, Ansgar? I mean, Eligius? I mean, 
Maybe Chris has heard of some of these people in, in history. I don't know. But this is some obscure stuff. It's like, let's just, let's just kind of hop, skip, and a jump from the uh, crucifixion to the Reformation. Maybe we'll say Augustine and Constantine, but the rest of it, it's like, I don't know, dark ages. But a lot of these people, even the people that we discussed this morning, are not celebrities because we don't even know about them even though some of these people, we know their name. So they obviously can teach us a lesson about being comfortable with obscurity of reputation. In, in many of their lives, they would probably look at some of what they did and say, it was a failure. I mean, how many times did they try to get into Sweden or they go up to Norway and things got burned. They lost a decade's worth of work. Uh, there was not very much progress. One of these men is, is martyred before he can actually perform baptisms. And they lost 50 people. And this is not John Calvin and Martin Luther and St. Augustine. So there is a comfort with just simply being obedient in obscurity. So that's where the chapter on the missionaries and um, the early missionaries in Europe ends. The author basically says this, how is it possible, we may ask, that these Christian workers did not give up in despair? The secret is that they did not work with an eye to success and much less for personal gain or glory. But first and last and always, they complied with the command of the Lord. Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. And uh, we drew a connection last week, very briefly, to our own lives to say, why are we moving to Mount Pleasant? I had the opportunity to run past there uh, yesterday morning. And I can indeed say that I kind of wish that there had been a sidewalk built when I was running down the street. Lord willing, soon there will be a sidewalk there. And, and much, much more than a sidewalk, there might be a, a church building that's two or three times this size. And who knows what else is going to be built on that property. But I think the saints that we've discussed this morning can teach us this lesson, that there's going to be times when there will be despair. I don't know how long it's going to take to raise the money. I don't know how much turmoil and conflict there's going to be over carpet color and chair size and whatever. But what's the purpose? Uh, they did not have an eye to success and much less for personal gain or glory. Because probably the vast amount of ministry that will ever be done from a Presbyterian church on Mount Pleasant will not be witnessed by those who move this church over there. And we, we probably won't have plaques with all of our names on it or pictures and books and church histories written about us, but there will be an impact, Lord willing. Souls saved, um, ministry done, um, so very much instructive 
Mark 16, verse 15, of these saints who lived kind of in obscurity, dealt with failure in many ways, opposition to the gospel as we will face, but simply obeyed the command to go. So whether or not the Lord actually calls any of us to literally go with a passport, he's hopefully very soon going to tell us to go across the city and do ministry over there. Follow-up, takeaways, questions, comments, criticisms. And that'll definitely be tested because whatever we're currently giving to the church, we can just expect a knock on the door from, from a capital campaign. <laughs> and that'll be, that'll be tested. What, what are we doing this for? Who are we doing it for? But yeah, thank you for that. Uh, Sean, you had a thought? Literacy, reading, writing. We saw last week Alfred in, in England translated into Anglo-Saxon. So that's, a, that's very much a continued theme that we will see up through the Reformation. It's going to spread through people reading and writing and literacy and those types of things. Yep, that's kind of another takeaway. Any other takeaways or comments to applications to our own life? I've about taken us to time. All right. I can't remember what's next. Well, Easter's next. We don't have Sunday school. Then I have another lesson. Then we do study committee report, I think. So, More on that to follow. Let me uh, close this in prayer. Lord, we thank you for these saints that you have chosen to use to spread your kingdom, many of whom we've never heard before. Uh, many of them we still don't know. Uh, that labored in obscurity, uh, that struggled with lack of ministry success, with being those who had everything and even their lives taken from them. And yet we're being obedient to the call of the gospel to go. And we ask that you would apply that to our hearts, whether it is to, to physically pick up and move away from this area, or if it's just to help this church to move to another physical location, that we would go that we would be obedient, that we would not seek our own fame and glory, that we would seek your fame and glory among the nations. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.